0: I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, so this week's Parsha, even though that's not our subject, though it is going to relate to what we're going to talk about today. It's called Parshas Vayera, and it's a continuation, of course, of the journey of Avraham and Sarah. And uh, I, there's just one beautiful idea that I wanted to share with you that will tie into our class today, <clears throat> which is something that I found in Rabbi Jonathan Sacks, Allah V'shalom's uh, Sefer on the Chumash. And he just notes that we're all familiar. Hi, Marlene. Good morning. We're all familiar with the way that the Karsha opens with Avraham Avinu. He's just had his bris and he's sitting outside and he's looking and hoping for guests to come. And these three angels slash men, there's a whole uh, discussion about who they really are. Um, Idol worshippers, actually. um, Approach and Avraham cannot wait but to go and offer them food and hospitality, etc. But the question is, is that he's, you know, he's in the middle of God speaking with him. And he basically says to God, excuse me, God, I have to go take care of my guests. So that's a whole question in itself. How do you leave the divine presence to go and, you know, be with human beings, so to speak? But the one idea that I really liked <clears throat> is that, When these guests come, they're described as that they were standing over Avraham. They were standing above Avraham. And this is an allusion to the fact that they were angels. So they were on a higher level, so to speak, than Avraham. But then after Avraham offers them food and drink and shelter, the language changes and it says, Omeid Aleichem that now Avraham was standing over them. So, of course, you have the literal idea, which is that he was serving them. He was up. He was, you know, uh, standing and running and doing for them. But the idea that Rabbi uh, Sachs brings out is now he was standing over them because by performing this mitzvah of hachnastus Orchim, which was greater than even being with the divine presence, he was now considered over them, meaning higher than the angels. So again, back to this idea of what makes us human is this idea of the a of free choice. The fact that Avraham Avinu ran to do and help these angels, which we think of as much higher, right? They, they don't have free will. They do what God tells them to do. Uh, and yet, when we perform... Mitzvot, when we heed the call of our inner voice, which is the voice of God, we stand higher than the angels. Okay, one other thing I wanted to talk about just before we get into our topics today again is a very important foundational idea to understand how to approach Torah. Excuse me again. Torah is not a book of history, it's not a book of science. Even though it includes history, and it certainly is, you know, full of science in terms of the creation of the world, whether we can understand it or not. Rather, Rabbi Sachs says, it's first and last a book about how to live. How to live your life. You know, this was a question that really plagued me my whole life, much long before I became religious, is I always had the question, you know, how to live my life the best? What is the best way to live life? And I often wished I didn't have this question and I could just go along with the status quo. And I spoke this past week at the village shul and I spoke about my lech journey just a little bit. But one of the uh, stories that I didn't share with them, I'll share with you, is I remember when I went to University of Toronto. So even there in my hippie mind, I guess, I really went, you know, not to become an MRS, my mother would have liked me to be, get my MRS degree, you all know what that is, right? And not Mm -hmm. necessarily to have a career even, because I never really knew what I wanted to do, but I really hoped that the university would teach me how to live. Would give me more wisdom. And it was really difficult to walk around the campus, you know, with all these people in front of me who had uh, <clears throat> invested in these expensive leather jackets. In those days, they were probably about $350. And emblazoned on the back of their jackets, of course, was where they were going in life, right? One would say pharmacy, another one would say engineering, another one would say nursing. <clears throat> So I used to joke and say, I also have a jacket, it's a windbreaker, and on the back it has Velcro. And every week I put something new up, you know, like ancient (laughs) Sanskrit or early Soviet cinema. Anyway, the point is, is that I was very intimidated by all these people who seemed to really know where they were going in life and what life was all about. It was about engineering and pharmacy. Unfortunately, by the end of my career at U of T, I haven't learned anything about how to think or how to uh, how to live. Uh, The basic uh, foundational teaching in almost every course was that there is no meaning in life. That life is random and chaotic and that the only meaning that there really is in life is meaning that you make up in order to go on in order to be able to uh, <clears throat> live in this world. So there's no uh, absolute meaning, there's not, no meaning it's, except that's created from your own biases and your own you know, life experiences. So unfortunately, this was very um, disappointing and university was certainly not the place that I found <clears throat> wisdom for how to think. But as Rabbi Sack says, This is a book about how to live. Everything it contains, not only the mitzvah, but even the stories, including the narrative of creation itself, is there solely for the sake of ethical and spiritual instruction. Jewish ethics is not confined to law. It includes virtues of character, general principles, and role models. It's conveyed not only by commandments, but also by stories, telling us how particular individuals, like we just spoke about Avraham, respond to specific situations. Finally, he says that Torah is focused on the most intense question. What should one do? How should one live? What kind of person should one strive to become? And this basically, as I said, was the question that I had, even as a young person. And Baruch Hashem, the Torah, is a book which gives us so much wisdom and understanding of how to live life in the absolutely best possible way that is available to mankind. Okay, so we've been talking about the composition of a human being and the four elements that we spoke about last week earth, water, Wind and fire, and we said that just like the material world, and the beginning of the Torah begins with creation, was composed of these four elements: <clears throat> earth is solids, uh, water is liquid, uh, air air represents gas, and fire is plasma. That, in the same way that the outer world around us is composed of these four elements, there are many, many. Um, um, Svarim Kadoshim, holy books, rabbis, specifically Rabbi Chaim Vital, um, who lived in, I think, the 15th century, wrote a book called Shari Kedusha, says that every human being is also composed of these four elements earth, water, wind, and fire. Earth being the most physical of all of the elements. And as we said last week, if we were, were to make a, uh, a, a a triangle like Abraham Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, Earth is at the bottom. It takes up the biggest space on the triangle. And that's our physical part of us, the the need for stability, the need for security, the need to feel that it's the basic primal survival instinct you know am i going to have enough will there be enough for my family are you taking away from what i'm supposed to have in its best way it represents stability and security so that a person can move on to the higher levels in its worst manifestation it deteriorates into sadness The earthiness that we possess, the physicality, anxiety, sluggishness, and at its very worst, jealousy, which we're going to see soon, is what happened in the story of Pine and Hevel. This was a manifestation of earth in its negative form. After that, we move up to water. The water element we said represents emotions, represents connection, represents relationships and pleasure. And of course, once a person's basic needs are taken care of, they move on to the water, which is, hey, you know, now that I'm okay and I'm stable and secure in this journey, what can I do to have fun, right? What pleasures are there available to me that will make my journey Which is not just, you know, to to get to the finish line, but will make my journey more enjoyable. And this is where we have the watermelon element, which is the emotional realm. And again, in its proper manifestation, we said last week, this is you know relationships and connection that are healthy where passion and even lust, we said, is used appropriately in order to cement relationships and bring them to their highest level. Now, we didn't speak about the last two, but I'm gonna touch on them today briefly because we're gonna keep bouncing back to these four elements. Wind, we know that the human being is called ruach or right? He's a speaking spirit. So wind represents our power of speech, our ability to articulate our thoughts, and wind also represents thoughts themselves, because just like the wind, you know, blows, and our thoughts also are continuously sort of blowing through our mind, right, in and out of our minds. Sometimes we catch ourselves in terms of what we're thinking. Other times we're completely oblivious to those thoughts that are going in and out. So wind is representative of thoughts. Now, again, on its higher manifestation, it's the human need to look for truth, to search for inner meaning, to want to know how to live, what life's about. How can I live my very best life and become my very best self? So these are the higher aspects of thought and wind. And of course, a negative manifestation of wind would be, right, silly words, idle types of speech. Of course, and hara, slander, anything that's malicious on its lower manifestation. And we're always struggling with this. Now, at the top of the ladder, the smallest part, right, is fire. And fire, of course, right away we think about passion. We think about motivated people, people who are fiery, people who have, you know, a fire under them. And, you know, on its positive manifestation, fire is the desire to self-actualize. It's the desire to become the very best person that you can be To always be wanting to raise yourself up, to grow, to develop, to become more of who you you are at your essence. And of course, it has a negative manifestation, which is ego that's used inappropriately, arrogance, the um, illusion of growth through criticizing other people, burning them up, so to speak, so that you can feel good about yourself at least for a few minutes right it's this desire to let everybody know how wonderful and great you are and unfortunately it can you know come from low self-esteem but it's an illusion of growth of motivation so we're going to go back as I said to these but the thing that's really exciting to me today is to present to you the idea that these four elements earth Water, wind, and fire are actually corresponding to the first four stories after Adam and Chava in the Torah that we are presented with, the main stories that happen. So let's just go back a little bit, first of all, to the idea that the Braishis is a book about these four elements. So, many there are many commentaries that have pointed this out. Because one of the questions that the uh, that Rashi asked at the very beginning of the Torah is why don't we start the Torah with the very first mitzvah? If the Torah is a book of commandments, so what do we need all this preamble for? Let's just get right to it. Let's get to the first mitzvah. Ha'cholash azelachem right? The first mitzvah the Jews were given were to sanctify the new moon. But many commentators discuss You know, the fact that we need to start here with Bereshis, because Bereshis is the stories of our Avot and Imahot, the stories of what happened from the time of creation until the the Avot and Imahot come on the scene are very, very important for us to know because they give us a foundation of what it means to be a thriving human being and what its opposite is, okay? <clears throat> so Torah is meant for a young child and an advanced Torah scholar. You know, a three-year-old kid can be on his way to school today. He'll bring home arts and crafts projects about Avraham Avinu and how he had this tent with four doors on it. And from any direction that a wayfarer was coming, they would see the door open. And they'll learn about all, of, all about um, Avraham's achnasat Orchim. And a Torah scholar can go and learn the exact same words, the exact same parsha, And of course, there are layers and layers and layers of meaning and depth, and they're learning it on a completely different level. And this is the idea that we want to go deeper and deeper every year in our learning. Okay, so we have to peel away the layers in order to learn the stories and the lessons that we need to learn. Now... According to Rabbi Buxbaum's book, which I told you is what I'm um, using as my source, The Four Elements of an Empowered Life, there's a thread that runs through Sefer Bereshit that shows us that the stories that happen there are not disconnected stories, but rather each has lessons that are extremely valuable. But the question is, how do all these stories fit together? What's the overall lesson of how to build the foundation for the rest of the Torah. How do these stories build the foundation for the Jewish people's birth as a nation and our mission in this world as the Torah continues? So we know the Torah begins with Adam and Chava, the very first human beings. And this story is the story of basically failure and how Adam and Chava are evicted from the garden and this is where our job begins to. I always say, you know, Joni Mitchell song, we got to get back to the garden, right? <laughs> We're trying to get back to the garden. Paradise, right? Mashiach, a wonderful, beautiful world that the Jewish people have been espousing for thousands of years. And unfortunately, we've been the, uh, we've suffered, we've suffered for it. We've suffered for this message and for, you know, staying apart in order to be able to remember our mission in this world. So Avram and Sarah are evicted from the garden. And just to let you know, the, um, the world as we know it is, to, is, is going to last 6,000 years. And we have the first 2,000 years of life are called 2,000 years of emptiness. This begins with Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve after they sin and goes all the way until basically Avraham, okay? From Avraham on, we have 2,000 years of Torah. This is how we divide these thousands of years. And the last 2,000 years are called the 2,000 years of Mashiach, where we're actually getting closer and closer to Mashiach. Now, obviously, there's starts and there's stops and there's backwards and there's forwards. Personally and as a nation, but we're trying to get back to the garden. That is, that is the point. And one of the ways we do this, ladies, as we know, is it's not enough to go out there and change the world and fix the world. There's an olam gadol out there, but it begins with our olam katan, with our inner world. It's easy, so to speak, you know, to join the Peace Corps and go to Africa and rescue people. Obviously, it's not easy, but what I'm saying is compared to the work that one has to do within themselves, that's considered easy because we'd rather look outward and think of ourselves as successful, right? The successful person is the person who you know, does something important, who gets their name on a building, who, who makes themselves known out there, but the true success is internal success, is paying attention to the olam katan. And of course, learning about these four elements is meant to help us deepen our understanding of what we're made of and how we can actualize ourselves. Okay. So, um, we know that the early evolution of humanity after Adam and Chava was very dismal, right? It was a downward progression from Adam and Chava until Noah, which were 10 generations. Ten is a number of completion when something is completed from Adam and Chava, the world degenerated from knowledge of God to complete idol worship to immorality and everything that goes with that. And of course, we came to the point where God literally has to destroy his world and begin again. Okay, so we're gonna talk about the four main stories that happen between Adam and Noah, and Noah and Abraham. Before Abraham comes on the scene, we basically see a world that even after Noah's time, even after the flood and God beginning again with Noah and his family who are considered to be the, the best of that generation, The world, again, begins to deteriorate and go in a downward spiral until we meet Abraham. And there are four main stories that we have after Adam and Chava, which teach us about where man went wrong. Something that we have to apply to our own lives because we each have these stories within ourselves, within our struggles. Okay, so the very first story that we have is the story of Cain and Havel, Cain and Abel, right? The very first fratricide that takes place soon after the world is created. Can you imagine? I can't believe it. I just got two kids and they killed each other. <laughs> I mean, they're killing each other. What's going on here? Sounds normal, right? My kids, my daughter tells me all the time, my kids are constantly killing each other. I, you know, I, I just have to, my mother had an expression. She said, I don't do anything until I see blood, you know? It's okay, just, just you know, look away. Uh, we learned this from a family friend who used to hang around our house a lot. He said, that was your mother's favorite expression when the five of you were pretty young, you know? Until I see blood, it's okay. Anyway, uh, Adam and Chava saw blood, obviously God saw blood. The story is about, <clears throat> of course, Cain and Havel, two brothers. They bring an offering to God. Hevel, who brings a sheep offering, Uh, the best of his sheep, his offering is accepted, and Kayan, who brings, he's a farmer, he's a tiller of the soil, who brings some vegetables that don't look too good, you know, he got them on the sale sale shelf, Uh, his offering is rejected. And he gets very, very upset about this. But listen to this, Ladies. We're talking about this story at corresponding to the element of earth. Now look at listen to all the references to Kine and Earth. Kine represents the earthiness in us. Kine became a tiller of the ground, it says about him. When he brings his offering and Hashem turns it down, it says, This annoyed Kine exceedingly, and his countenance fell. So even the falling of his face, the sadness, the uh, upset about my offering not being uh, accepted and my brother's offering, yes, being accepted, his countenance falls, right? And God basically says to him, what are you looking so sad about? What's wrong with you? Don't you understand there's something called tshuva? Don't you understand that you're not doomed? And God basically says to him, listen, if you improve yourself, you'll be forgiven. And if you don't, right, and, and, and um, you can conquer. You can conquer your inner self. You can conquer that inner nature that for some reason brought me a less than best gift, you know. You can conquer this. But if you don't, then sin will always be crouching at the door. Meaning you will always be, you will be in this downward, earthy spiral of depression. Of why me? Why not me? Or what we call the scarcity mindset. So earth represents this scarcity mindset that, you know, if you do better than me, then I'm less than. Or, you know, you're taking away something from me that I'm supposed to have. Now, the the name Kyan, interestingly, comes from the word Kenyan, which means acquisition, acquisition, acquiring. The need for Kenyan to acquire, right, which we said again, goes along with this idea of earthiness. This primal survival instinct, which says, I got to get to the finish line. I need to have what I I need to have sustenance. I need to have what I need to survive. And anybody who's taking away from me is a threat. The word kayan also is the chorish of the root kina, jealousy. Right? We're told that desires, jealousy, and honor remove a person from this world, we're told in Pirke Avo. Right? That when a person is consumed by any of these three midot, they have no life. They can't live. They're completely consumed. And as we see with Pine, he was completely consumed by the fact that his brother's offering was accepted and his wasn't, or that his brother was somehow taking away from him to the point that he was ready to kill his brother. And then, of course, God comes and he says to him, your brother's Blood cries out from the ground. Again, the illusion to earth. Therefore, you are cursed more than the ground. Right? We know that after Adam and Chabar are kicked out of Gan Eden, it's going to be hard to make things grow. It's going to be thorns and thistles instead of <coughs> a beautiful garden that they didn't have to do anything to make it, you know, flourish. And he goes on to say... Um, Hashem says, when you work the ground, it's no longer going to yield its strength. You're going to become a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And kind basically says, I must become a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever meets me will kill me. So the point that I just want to make here is that the Torah uses a lot of earth imagery when it talks about kind. And again, it's talking about that earthy instinct within all of us or what psychology modern psychology calls the scarcity mindset which naturally leads to jealousy right for anybody who was with me during the bitafone series or you listen to it online right we talked about the pizza right the, that nobody can take away my slice of the pie you know that my pizza pie is on my table and theirs is on theirs, and that a person who has bitachon understands that nobody can take away anything that Hashem wants me to have. And this, of course, is a um, remedy for the scarcity mindset and what modern psychology would call the abundance mindset. Now, as Jews, we would call it the emuna mindset and the bitachon mindset. This idea that I have everything I need and whatever I have is enough for me to, you know, accomplish my mission in this world at this moment. Or as somebody said very succinctly, I need to grow where I'm planted, not look at, you know, another flower in the garden and say, I want to be there. I mean, we can want to be there, but we first have to accept where we are and use that and recognize that that's what we need to grow. Okay, so we have the story of Kain and Havel. And again, what the story teaches us is that jealousy, sadness, sluggishness, that negative manifestation of earth is going to pull us down and keep us there for as long as it possibly can. That is the voice of the Hara. I just want to read to you from the book, Yisharen, The Path of the Just, written by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, a great Kabbalist and philosopher, who talks about the tendency of the earth element inside of us to bring us down. A person's natural tendency is to be very sluggish. This is so because the earthiness of physicality is dense. It therefore keeps a person from desiring exertion and labor. One who wishes therefore to attain the service of the creator must strengthen himself against his nature and be zealous. If he leaves himself in the hands of his sluggish nature, there is no question that he will not succeed. So kind was a man of the earth. And he shows us the extreme constriction through his stinginess, sadness, and jealousy that the earth can bring out in us. Okay, so this first story, again, represents the idea of earth. Now, what I want to do is look at the remedy for earthiness and we're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah, because basically, you know, just quickly, let me tell you the four stories that we're going to talk about that correspond to earth, water, wind and fire. Well, ladies, just think in your own mind, what's the next big story in the Torah that would go together with water? <sighs> Don't have to think too hard, right? So after Kine and Hevel, after the story of the first murder and the earthiness that creates jealousy and sadness and the inability to get up again and try again, right? Sap's complete motivation from a person is water. And water is the flood. Water is the generation of Noah. Water represents pleasure. Right, we spoke about water being positive or negative in terms of a plant. If you give too much water to a plant, it dies. If a plant doesn't get enough water, right, a person lives too ascetically. In Judaism, this can be a sin. We know this from the Parsha of the Nazir. He has to bring a sin offering after he's lived this life of precious, of separating from physical pleasures, because God wants us to enjoy his world. But if there's too, and if there's too little water, the plant also dies. And then, of course, if you water a plant with the wrong product, right, if you water your plant with bleach, you're also going to kill it. But the point is, is the proper amount of water is good for us. The generation of the flood misused water, and therefore it was punished through water. Just as Cain, who was a worker of the earth, misused earth, and was punished by having to wander the earth, okay? So the people of the flood were known for sexual immorality, the desire to take what belonged to other people, and, you know, pleasure at for pleasure's sake was de rigueur, right? This was, you know, the sin of the day. And the only person who was able to withstand and, you know, hold himself back was Noah. He stood alone in this time period. After the water, we have wind. What's the story of wind? So the next big story after the flood is the Tower of Babel. Who were these people who created this tower to God and they were going to fight God? These were the people who were masters at wind. They were supposed to be extremely intellectual, extremely bright. Okay? Wind is intellect, cognition, and communication. These were brilliant people, Rabbi Buxbaum points out. They were not cavemen. Okay? Okay? as you know, the anthropologists might like us to believe. These were, you know, very, very smart people, sophisticated human beings who had a plan to undermine God so that basically God will leave us alone, okay? We won't have to listen to him. We get, we'll get rid of him, okay? And they had this idea, and the idea was we want to rule ourselves. And so together through this power of speech, Through this incredibly sophisticated intelligence, they began to build this tower, right, that reached up to the sky to fight, so to speak, God, to get rid of God. And what does God do? God scatters them like the wind. This is a negative manifestation of scattering people like the wind. And the wind element is is speech, and because their speech has become corrupt and is obviously a manifestation of their thinking that was uh, distorted, God destroys them. Actually, he doesn't destroy them. We know the end of the story. God mixes up their languages so they can no longer use this incredible power of speech, which was supposed to be used for positive now they can no longer communicate with each other. They've got 70 different languages, and that's why it's called the Tower of Babel, because they're all babbling. Mibalbel means they're confused. They're unable to do this project anymore because nobody can understand themselves, each other, right? That as children, were taught, you know, one guy says, pass me a hammer, and the other guy passes him a screwdriver, right? And he get, you know... After a while of this, when they realize they can no longer communicate, they start to get really frustrated and beating each other up and knocking each other on the head, etc. Like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you understand me? And, and this is where the beginning of all the languages in the world are sourced. Right? Where we, we become different nations with different languages. Before that, there was only one language, Lashon and the holy language, Hebrew, um, the next story, the next main story, is, corresponds to the element of fire, and that's the story of Sodom, this week's Parsha. Sodom, do you remember the people of Sodom? They are a generation who are extremely arrogant, very, very wealthy, Right? We know the story, I think it was in last week's Parsha, Lot and Avraham. Avraham and his nephew Lot are traveling together out of Egypt. Lot and Avraham's uh, shepherds have a fight that there's not enough pasture for both of us. And Abraham says to Lot, his nephew, we're going to have to separate. You know, you choose where you want to go. There's the east and the west. You make your choice and all go in the opposite direction. And Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees this incredible area, this fertile land, a place called Sodom. It's very, very uh, wealthy. It's, it's, it's you know, it's it's a choice piece of land. And regardless of the fact that the people are absolutely rotten there, Lot chooses to go there. Now we know the end of the story about Sodom. Sodom hates having uh, guests, right? They have certain rules in Sodom. You can't be in our club. We are a clique, and you can't join our club. And basically, they are ruled by their arrogance and their ego. And how are they destroyed? They're destroyed with fire, right? God rains down fire on Sodom. We know in this week's Parsha, Abraham pleads to God to spare them. And you know, we know that there's this incredible... Back and forth between God and Abraham, where Abraham keeps saying, what if I could find 40 righteous people there? Will you still destroy them? And, of course, God says, "If you you know, if you find 40 righteous, I will spare them. And, of course, they can't even find 10 who are righteous. But Lot and his family are spared. They're able to run away. And uh, we know the story. His wife turns back, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Okay, interesting. Why salt? So salt in the ancient world represented wealth. We know that that area up until today, nothing grows there. That's the area of the Dead Sea, right? If you're on the tour bus, you'll even point out Lot's wife, some big pillar of salt that's standing there. She was punished because she was told not to look back and watch the tragedy that was happening. And, she, of course, you know, tell somebody, don't look. That's what they want to do, right? They want to look. <laughs> well, she did it. She looked, and she turned into a pillar of salt. But listen to this. How is salt and fire, et cetera, related? Well, obviously, fire destroys everything, and salt, a place that has too much salt, nothing can grow there. So it's a perfect mida kineged mida. What do we mean by mida keneged mida? You know Shakespeare's book, Measure for Measure. That basically the same way that you do wrong, it's through that same medium that God will punish you, right? So salt in the ancient world represented wealth. People paid each other in salt. The word salary that we use up until today is a Latin word that means salt, that you get a salary, okay? The word soldier comes from the word salt because a soldier would get paid for working for his country and the way he got paid was in salt. Salt was a sign of wealth. That's what people use. So these people were punished by fire and turned into salt. <clears throat> so this is the stage of humanity being sapped. The mission of the Jewish people are to fix these human flaws. And each one of us individually and as a people have to contend with these stories that live within us, the kind and heavy earthy part of us, the story of scarcity mindset, of jealousy, of sadness, of giving up and giving in to those feelings of unworthiness, of Ugh, why should I even try? Or spending our life on social media and Facebook, seeing how much better everybody else's life is than ours, right? And why do they have that? And why are they there and doing that vacation? And I'm stuck at home, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things that feed into this negativity, this earthy feeling of, you know, it's not good enough. Or you're taking away from what I'm supposed to have. That's the earthy part of us, right? So just to focus on that in this class, because that's where I wanna focus in the next few minutes. Again, we all have a generation of the flood within us, the uh, potential to use the water part of us in a negative way, too much pleasure, the wrong pleasures, Pleasures that are really about escaping from life, numbing us. It's a place where people become, uh, get into addictions in order to be able to numb that earthy part of them that hasn't developed properly. All of the levels interact with each other and build upon the other. So we're going to talk more about that. So now to come to this exciting part, and this is where the Jewish people begin with Avram Avinam. The Avot and the Imahu are coming to fix the flaws of these four stories. These four stories of human beings who descend again and again into the abyss, into chaos, into the most negative manifestation that human beings can go to when they forget God, when they forget their purpose in this world. And the Avos and imaus come to show us how to fix these flaws. So Avraham and sarah it's perfect because we're talking about them in our, in our Parsha's of the week this week. What do they come to fix? What were they famous for? Avraham and Sarah, of course, we all know were famous, as the Parsha begins this week, for chesed. Avraham was the personification of chesed, kindness doing for others, seeing God in the human personality, in the face of a human being, which is where our tzellam elokim resides. Our image of God is on our face, on our countenance, right? You don't know a person by their arm or the back of their body. You don't know a person by any other part of their body except for the face, right? The face is the word panim, which is the same word as panim, it, the face is the outer expression of the internal. Pani means inside, right? That's why, you know, as, as modest as we are, we would never cover a person's face. You know, like other religions, we'd never cover a woman's face for the sake of modesty, you know, as a full-time uh, thing, because the face is your godliness. It's where it resides. Okay, but anyway... So, if Kyan represented the scarcity mindset, there's not enough, you're taking away from me, then Abraham and Sarah represent the abundance mindset. The opposite, the Emuna mindset. No one else in this world is a threat. All I want to do is give, is give to other people. I have enough, and all I want to do is give, right? In the benching, we say, by the way, for those of you who know the benching, it's very interesting, when we say the names of the Avot, we say, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, HaKol, MiKol, Kol. So, the word Kol means everything. So, when we say, HaKol, MiKol, Kol, we're saying that each of those three calls. Correspond to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. That the emuna mindset, the abundance mindset is, I have everything. I have everything I need to accomplish my task. There's nothing that you can take away from me because whatever I have is exactly what God wants me to have. Right? She'asali kol God gives me exactly what I need. I always love to tell Rabbi Pesach Krohn's shoe story here, right? That it used to be that in the morning blessings, we would put on our clothing as we said each blessing, right? So the blessing that God gives me everything I need is the blessing we would say when we would put on our shoes. And Rabbi Pesach Krohn explains that, you know, if you try to wear somebody's shoes that are too large for you, you might be able to walk. But you probably won't get to where you'd like to get to in those shoes. And you certainly won't get there comfortably. It'll take you an awfully long time. And the same is true if your shoes are too small. Or I like to say with ladies, too high, you know. You might be able to walk. You look great. But, you know, you're not really getting very quickly to where you need to get to. So they used to put their shoes on and say, that I have everything I need because these are the shoes that fit me right. And I'll be able to get to where I need to get to in my shoes, not your shoes. Not what you have. Right? Keep your eyes on your own fries, right? Keep your eyes on your own yoga mat, as they say in yoga. <clears throat> Just because I can put myself into a pretzel and you can't, it doesn't mean I'm better than you. Just means part of it was that I was born this way. And the other part is I've been working on this for a long time. Okay. So that's part of it. So the abos and imajos, and I got to end because we're almost at the end, right? They are the Amuna mindset. They see themselves as proactive as in charge. You know, a lot of times when I'm poaching people, it's all about how other people in their life is are messing them up, right? Are not doing things the way they want them to be done or are behaving in ways that are not appropriate, not suitable, not proper. And whether it's your boss or a family member, the idea of Avram and Avinu and Sara is the idea of I'm not a victim. Kain was a victim. Right? It's not fair. It's not fair. Kind didn't take responsibility or accountability for his behavior. He wanted to give in to gravity, to the earth that says, Ugh, I give up. <clears throat> the other and Sarah approach to light is from a place of power. Avram and Sarah had a tent that was open on four doors, right? Four sides. They were saying, you're part of us. Come in. The name Avraham means Hamon Goyim. He was the father of all nations, of all people, right? His name was changed from Avram to Avraham. And we know he's the father of the three main religions today, right? Both the other two big ones, they all go back to Avraham. And of course in the Muslim world Abraham is a prophet. Abraham is the father of Ishmael who were the who was the beginning progenitor of the Arab nation. So Abraham and Sarah are saying let's let's all of us grow together. There's enough here for everyone. So how do we overcome the earth element? We learn this from Abraham and I'm going to end with this, okay? If you look at the Parsha this week, one of the glaring words that keeps being repeated about Avraham and Sarah is the word hurry, do it fast, relating to the Mida of Zrizut, right? We had a whole course on Zrizut, ladies, on alacrity. Avraham was the personification of enthusiasm, of alacrity, that your motion creates your emotion. And that when you move yourself quickly, externally, right? We know you don't feel good. You're feeling sad. You're feeling lethargic. Go out for a walk. Go out for a run. Do something. Move your body. Put on some music and dance. Because the outer, Torah tells us, the rabbis teach us, affects the inner. And not only that, inside of us, there's a place of sadness and there's a place of joy. And the same way we can... Get one to wake up. We can get the other one to wake up. And the way we do it is through our external, right? Just putting a smile on your face changes the way you feel. My mother used to joke, she'd say, My my face I don't mind it because I'm behind it. It's people in front get the jar. <laughs> We know your face is public property, right? It belongs to everybody. And when you put on a smile, you feel differently, even if you have reason to cry, even if you have reason to. Su- I remember my mother had this thing on the fridge when I was a teenager. I probably thought it was, you know, obnoxious or nerdy, but whatever, you know, it was like, it was all about fashion, it said the best fashion that you can wear right now, and it had some beautiful model, right, is a smile. That is the greatest fashion accessory that you need to have. So, you know, there was always that message. But in the parsh itself, right, Avram Avinu, he's just had a brisk. It's the third day after his brisk, which we're told is the most painful time after surgery. He sees these three men coming. He runs towards them. He runs towards them, right? And he says, um, "Please don't pass by my tent." Um, anyway, and he runs. It says again, "By maher Everybody knows the word in Hebrew. Maher, 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 Maher. Hurry, 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 hurry. Right? This word is repeated over and over again in this week's parsha. By maher Abraham. Abraham hurries to the tent to Sarah, and he says to her, "Hurry up, Mahari." You know, start getting ready. we got guests. we got, we got to get some food on the table here. Then he says to his son, Yishmael, uh, hurry up, Yishmael. Come on, get into the family project here. Hurry and let's serve these guests. So this is the idea that is the symbol of zrizut. that the angels approach, he runs to take care of them. And if you look at Avram, he's like, you know, and all in the family, remember Edith? Remember how Edith was always running? You know, the doorbell would ring. I'm coming! You know, she was always running, right? So you know, it's just a, an interesting image. But the idea is this: is that you know, <clears throat> move your body physically, get up, be energetic. This affects you. Everything Abraham does is quick. In the same parsha this week, Abraham, with his tenth test, he's being told to sacrifice his son. And what does it say there? It says, Avraham gets up early, early in the morning that morning, right? And he says, and he, and he, and he saddles his own donkey. Now, Avraham's an extremely wealthy man. He doesn't need to saddle his own donkey. He's got tons of servants to do that. But that's his reasons. God's giving me a command. He's telling me to do something. I'm going to do it with enthusiasm. I'm going to do it early. No coincidence that Avraham is the one who creates morning prayer. Okay? We're supposed to, the Shulchan Aruch starts, the book of Jewish law starts saying you have to get up like a lion to serve your creator. Avraham is the paradigm of the antidote to earthiness, the antidote to the kind in hevel within us. And one way to have this antidote is to number one, see life with an abundance mindset, with an Amuna mindset that I have everything I need. And on a physical level, get your body moving. Do things quickly, even when you don't feel like it. The outer movements of our body affect how we feel within. And so the scarcity mindset is elevated by Abhunisara, they do kindness. With an abundance mindset okay ladies I'm sorry I've gone over time uh, and uh, one second I just want to end the recording whoops what did I do um, anyway thank you so much for joining me I hope that you found that interesting I'm just interested to hear what you have to say